Alrighty, um, good morning Cornerstone. My name is Victoria. Today's passage comes from John 4 um, verses 1 to 42. We'll be reading from the NIV version. Um, but today we have a special treat for you. We'll be doing a dramatic reading of the passage. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, though in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sichar, or Sichar near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Jacob, or Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Sumerian woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, you have nothing to follow, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as also his sons and his flocks and herds? Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband. You are right when you say that you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and the ancients claimed that Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshiper the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. I know that Messiah is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. I who speak to you am he. Just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or, why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say, four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now he harvests the crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. 
So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. And that is the word of God. Thank you, team, for doing that. So last week, we learned from 1 Corinthians chapter 9 uh, how the Apostle Paul adapted to make these cross-cultural connections with people that were not Jewish, where he was Jewish, by being intentional and being curious and working hard at it. You know, in a sense, trial and error, trying again, working, keeping working at it. And I introduced uh, at the end of the message this cross-cultural initiative, which you should have received uh, something on your way in. We'll talk a little bit more about that at the end of the message today. And this cross-cultural initiative is just a challenge to us as a congregation to think of someone that is already in the sphere of our life um, right now that we know of that is of a different culture than we are from our own culture. And then to make an effort intentionally to connect with them, to learn their story, and to love them in the name of Jesus. And the goal of this cultural initiative is very simple. It's just simply to be a friend to them and love them in the name of Jesus. Now, if they don't want to be your friend, don't force it, okay? It's just to see and offer that and your curiosity. And if, if they're not re- responding, then that's okay. Then think of someone else and, and you know, try again with someone else. Now, there are many ways in which we touch the lives of people and have influence on them. But oftentimes, our default is to actually react to the way people treat us, right? Because uh, we care a lot about what others think of us, usually, that that's... Uh, natural to us, or unnatural, we should say, where we do that, we, we are more reactive, meaning we react to the way people treat us. But that's not what the Lord Jesus modeled in his approach to people. He took action. He was uh, intentional in the way he connected with people, as we just saw read here with the woman in the well. And this just simply means that he knew how he was going to treat these people despite how they treated him, whether they adored him or they abused him, but he was intentional in how he was going to treat them and reach out and connect with them and give them life. No matter what the circumstances were, Jesus was very intentional. And today we're going to learn from Jesus' example of how he cross-culturally shared the truth about himself with this woman at the well. And learning from Jesus and how he, he is well went cross-culturally to connect with people like this woman, we will also be able to then do so, following his example, at least the principles that we will learn and observe today. Because this is our, the mission Jesus gave us. He, his church, he gave us this mission, or what we call the Great Commission, that we are familiar with, hopefully. But I'm going to just go through this mission again in Matthew 28, 19 through 20, because Jesus commanded his followers, which is you and me, 
to therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So we make disciples for Jesus while we're going about our lives. Because this is actually a participle there. It's an imperative participle where therefore go. It's therefore as you're going, make disciples of all nations. And so we are to care enough to make a cross-cultural touch. And we're going to observe there's five different principles in what we observe with Jesus today with this woman that we can actually reach out, in a sense, and make a cross-cultural touch to people. So I'm going to use the word touch for, to introduce these five things to us. And the story we heard just read about the Samaritan woman at the well is an example of how Jesus made this touch, in the sense. Not physically, we're not talking about, but in a, in a cross-cultural connection that he was able to do with this woman. Jesus is our model. So there's these five ways we're going to look at. And the first thing we learned from Jesus, and the first and most important, probably, to really make a connection, is to tear down the barriers that exist between us, culturally, in whatever ways they exist. And the fact there are many barriers that exist between people, uh, especially when you get into the issue of race and politics and culture and faith. Those are just four big ones. And there's a lot of barriers that exist between us as people. And for us to understand how Jesus, in this situation, tore down some of the barriers between him and this woman, we must identify these barriers what exists. And that's the same for us, our practices. What are the barriers that exist between us and whoever comes to mind that we're thinking of that is of a different culture? We know that Jesus sat at this well and he was tired from walking all that morning. And it was about the sixth hour, which in our time means 12 noon. Uh, so it was at a, the, more the hot part of the day. And Jesus sent his disciples into the village to get some food. It was about time to eat lunch. But he waited there at the well. And, you know, Jesus was the Lord God, so he, he knew this woman was most likely going to be coming to the well. And so he intentionally waited there at the well alone. And this Samaritan woman comes to draw water from the well. So here's some of the barriers that we can identify that Jesus uh, tore down. The first barrier is that there was a strong, bitter, uh, and intense, long hatred between the Jews and the Samaritans. So between these two people groups, who the Jews felt they had a pure religion, and that the Samaritans had a polluted religion. It was all messed up. They were messed up in their religion. And, um, and so what this meant is that the Jews, a lot of Jews, would not even travel through Samaria. If they lived in uh, Judea, which was around Jerusalem area, and they needed to go to Galilee, they would go around, like you see on this map. Judea is in the south, Galilee is near the Sea of Galilee in the north. You can see they would go over across the Jordan River or up, or they'd go way over near the coast and go around. They would not even go through Samaria. So the fact that Jesus decided to go straight through Samaria to Galilee he was already breaking some barriers there. Just the fact that he was there in this, near this village of Samaria. And then another barrier that we see that was broken down is that a rabbi or a teacher of that day would never talk to a woman in public. <laughs> Oftentimes, not even their wife. They wouldn't want to talk to a woman in a public setting. 
or especially they would not want to drink from a cup of a Samaritan. And so just this was practice was considered dirty of these, quote, religious Jews, that if you were to take something from a Samaritan in a, in a cup, especially and drink it, that would be considered unclean. So Jesus tears down these barriers that I just mentioned with just a simple question that he asks this woman when she comes to the well. Will you give me a drink? Bang. He just tore down these barriers, some of these barriers, and he, he treated her in a way she did not expect at all for him being a Jewish man. And so she immediately reminds him of the barriers that are supposed to exist between the two of them when she says, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman, right? Can you, how can you ask me for a drink? So she's saying, hey, (laughs) this is the way things are. Why are you asking me for a drink? And you see, here's the first thing about tearing down barriers is whenever we reach across a barrier or tear it down, however you want to say it, this generates a curiosity in the person we're dealing with. Because they're like, wait, you're, you're not acting the way I expected. And a barrier can be anything that separates people. Like I mentioned, race, culture, it could be language, or a barrier could be simply age, in a sense a generational gap. Or it could be wealth, or the lack of it, or intelligence, or the lack of that, right? Or social acceptance, or the lack of that. For example, I, I have a memory in my mind of when I was in high school in my physical education class. And there's this one guy in my class who was a social outcast, and especially in PE class, because he was extremely uncoordinated, and he was awkward socially. And so I felt bad for him as a young uh, follower of Christ. In high school, my faith started to grow. And I felt really bad because every time they, you know, the teacher would come up and say, we're going to play volleyball and we're going to make teams. So he'd pick captains and then the captains would alternate and choose kids, right? Well, this kid was always the last chosen. And nobody wanted him on his team because he was going to be a detriment. You know, he, he's afraid of the ball, whatever it was. So I felt really bad as a follower of Christ growing. And I saw how isolated this kid was. And so I, I, I felt and I saw the barriers because he was, he was <laughs> there was a barrier between him and everybody else there. But I didn't know how to break those barriers separating him and me. And so I did nothing. And when I think about it, he did not hear the truth or experience the truth of Jesus Christ from Jeff Wisman during that year of high school. I was too proud to risk my reputation by aligning myself or connecting myself with this social outcast in PE class. So he didn't hear the truth from me. The first thing we observe from Jesus is to tear down these barriers that we can identify by reaching across in some way. The next thing we see in Jesus' example is that we offer Jesus, which is what happens here. When the barriers are torn down, we have the opportunity to, in a sense, give a Jesus explanation of why we're acting the way we are or why we live the way we do. And Jesus said to the woman in this interaction, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, would you, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now, the living water Jesus referred to is himself. But the woman was thinking of physical water. So, you know, she said in response, 
Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? And then she asked if Jesus was greater than Jacob, who built this well uh, many years before. And Jesus responds saying that, well, anyone who drinks of this water in this well is going to get thirsty again. But if you drink of the water that I give, this living water, then it will well up with you, in you, and you'll never be thirsty, and it will well up into eternal life. But, you know, this woman still misunderstands Jesus and says in response, Sir, give me this water so I don't have to keep coming out to the, here to the well to draw water. She's still thinking very physical here. You know, this should be an encouragement to us that this is the Lord God himself interacting with someone, and they're not getting them yet. You know, <laughs> it's like then you say, oh, yes, I believe right away, right? It's, it, it's just like they're just, they're not connecting yet. So Jesus offered himself as life eternal to the Samaritan woman, but she did not understand what he was saying. She's still thinking about physical water. And what Jesus knew was that this woman had a spiritual thirst for God. And actually, everybody does, whether they know it or not. But she just did not understand that Jesus was offering himself, who is life, who is the abundant life and eternal life to her. And at this point, Jesus was not getting through. So he needed to do a little more work before she would understand. Which brings us to the next thing that we can observe is that Jesus showed unconditional acceptance of her. And he asked the woman to go get her husband with this question, you know, go get your husband and come back. But the woman, uh, I mean, the, Jesus, the woman said, I had no husband, and then Jesus responds saying this, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, wow, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Now there's no judgment there. He's just saying, yeah. You're right. And, and then he rips away her mask. And he knows things about this lady who he, what he shouldn't know, right? There's no possible way he could because they've never met. He's never been in this village before. And so Jesus knew about her moral lifestyle at this point, and yet he was not rejecting her for it. He's just acknowledging it and saying, yeah, I know you. What you said is quite true. You do not have a husband right now. And he accepted her with all her sinfulness. And this was a new experience for her. Because she was used to being rejected, talked about, it seems, by the townspeople. Because she had chosen to come out to the well at the, one of the hottest times of the day. In that day and age, to go and draw water, and water's a lot, very heavy, you wouldn't choose the hottest time of the day. The practice was women and servants would go early morning or in the cool hours of the morning, or they would wait until the evening hours when it cooled off to go to the well and get the water. But she chose in the middle of the day to avoid people. And to her surprise, there was this guy sitting there <laughs> that she couldn't avoid. And then he asked her for a drink. She was exposed and, the, and yet, this woman was being accepted by this man that she was interacting with, who was already breaking down the barriers that she was used to. And she experienced this acceptance from the one person who actually could judge her. And Je Jesus knows all our sinful ways. He knows the things that you think about and what I think about. He knows what's in your heart. He knows the things we do in secret. And yet, he accepts us unconditionally. And he wants to remake us into his image of righteousness and freedom and to be able to show the world his love and truth. 
Jesus laid the Samaritan woman's failures out in her life, out in front of her, and yet showed her acceptance. And he asked the same for us. He wants us to just realize that he accepts us, and then no matter what we've done, we're not disqualified from a relationship with him, but he fully accepts us. And this means then we, once we understand this, and that he is a living water, that we must ask him for a drink. And that just means to humble ourselves, to realize that we are in need of his forgiveness, and come to him in faith as Lord and Savior. You know, I'm reminded of a joke that describes God's acceptance of us despite how much we've sinned. And uh, I asked Josiah, uh, I thought he was going to be here today so he could be the brunt of the joke, but uh, he's not, but he said it was okay. So... Uh, I'm not throwing him under the bus. So Josiah Cam, we, uh, he works with our youth ministry. He's one of the, our adult counselors with them. And uh, so he, he dies, all right? He, he died, and he goes up to the pearly gates of heaven, and this big angel is looking through the book of life. And he's like, Josiah Cam, Josiah Cam, Josiah Cam. Oh, okay, your name is there. You're, come on inside. So this, this big angel dude takes Josiah in, and he's showing him the pearly gates and the beautiful splendor of heaven. And Josiah's like, wow, this is awesome, right? And, and then they get into this big room, much bigger than this room, and it's like as far as you can see. And the odd thing about this room is there's like what looks like clocks all over the walls, everywhere you can look. There's just clocks jam-packed next to each other, and even on the ceiling and everything, there's like millions of these clocks. And what's weird about these clocks is all the hands of the clocks are moving at different speeds. They're not even like in time with each other. And so Josiah asks the angel, what are these? And the angel says, oh, these, yeah, these. Every person that's alive is represented by one of these. And the hands of the, they're they're each moving different speeds because a hand clicks one uh, space forward, depending on every time someone sins. So that's why they're going at different speeds. And so Josiah is fascinated. He's like, oh. So he goes looking over close and he's like, oh, oh, Paul Hahn, there's that clock. Oh, the hands are barely moving on that one. And then, then he sees Daniel Tseh, and he's like, whoa, those hands are moving a little faster. And he's like, whoa. And then he's looking around, he's seeing other people he knows. And then, and then he's like, yeah, uh, where's my clock? And he says, oh, the angel laughs, and he says, yeah, yours. We brought it into the office to use as a fan, so that was really nice. <laughs> but it's just a funny joke to show that, you know, no matter what kind of sin we come to the Lord Jesus with, he accepts us because his blood covers it all. Unconditional acceptance. So just as God has accepted us with our sin, so we can then reach Christ culturally and show God's unconditional acceptance of whoever we connect with. Because he's already paid the price for their sin. We're just introducing them to the one who did pay that price. Unconditional acceptance of God shown to them. So we tear down the barriers, we offer Jesus, and we show God's unconditional acceptance, which brings us to the next letter, is we care for their concerns. And you may have heard the statement before, people don't really care how much you know until they know how much you care, right? They don't really care how much you know until they know how much you care. And if people have concerns when we're interacting with them and making these connections, and we don't respond to their concerns, then they're not going to think we care much about them. And the Samaritan woman knew that Jesus was different from anyone she had ever met before in her life. And 
and she knew that uh, he accepted her. And they had just met. And he, knew about, and he knew about her life, which was amazing. And so she said to Jesus, her concern, Sir, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. And so she's asking Jesus really the question, where can I find God? Um, her heart was truly touched at this point with meeting Jesus. But we need to do a little history lesson to understand her question and where this comes from. Because she asked, like, worshipped on this mountain. What is she talking about? Well, after the nation of Israel had formed, they divided into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was 12 tribes of Israel called Israel. And the southern kingdom was two tribes of Israel called Judah. And that's where Jerusalem was. And Samaria, where they are now, became the capital of the northern kingdom this city called Samaria, and, and, and there's also an area called Samaria, and that was made up of the ten tribes, and though through succeeding generations of the northern kingdom um, and their kings and things, they moved way far away from worshiping the Lord God. They worshiped other gods, and so they, they moved way far disobedience to the Lord God, and in 722 BC, God allowed the king of Assyria to come in and utterly destroy the northern kingdom. And he took all those Israelites that were left and alive and, dis- and brought them into captivity in other places, dispersed them around the world. And then he resettled the Syrians in the northern kingdom area, in Samaria then. But then what happened is all these animals started attacking its inhabitants. And so they, because they're a polytheistic people, they thought, oh, we must have offended the God that was here of the land. So they forced one of the captive priests that they had conquered back into the land and said, you need to teach our people how to worship the Lord God of the Jews. Uh, and, and here's the five books of Moses that we have and use this to teach them. So that's what happened. So the Samaritans learned the Torah, the five books of Moses, and how to worship the Lord God Yahweh, along with all their other gods. So, so that's why you can see why the Jews thought they were a polluted religion. And then generations later, um, as the people of Judah then were destroyed and they were off in captivity, this is the southern kingdom, and they came back and then they started to rebuild the temple of God. So then the Samaritans were like, hey, we'd like to help. And the Jews were like, no, we don't want your help. And then there was this one uh, priest in the southern kingdom, Manasseh, and he married a Samaritan woman. And then Nehemiah, if you read that book, he cast that priest out, ex, you know, excommunicated him from southern Judah, that nation. And so Manasseh went to the northern kingdom and said, hey, you know, I got kicked out, and so I have some good stuff to offer you guys. So they said, oh, yeah, come, you're a priest, yay. You know, and so they built this temple, and there on Mount Gerizim, this place of worship, and, and their nationalistic zeal, they claimed that both that temple on Mount Gerizim and the book of the law that they had was more righteous and true than the worship in Jerusalem at the temple there and the book of the law that they had. So there was this rivalry. But then what happened around 200 B.C., the Samaritan temple on Mount Gerizim was destroyed. And this Mount Gerizim is in Samaria, and it's in full view of Jacob's well. And so that's why the Samaritan woman is saying, on this mountain we used to worship. And you guys claim in Jerusalem that's where you're supposed to worship. And so Jesus did not let this past conflicts between his people and the Samaritans distract him from answering this real question of where do I find God? 
And he answered by explaining that God dwells everywhere. And we worship him in spirit and in truth. But the woman seemed overwhelmed by this answer, and she stated that uh, she knew the Messiah would come and explain everything at some point. Now, the Messiah, or the Christ, is a person that the Jews thought would be a king to help them out of the Roman oppression, you know, militarily conquer the Romans. The Samaritans thought he would be like a prophet, like Moses, and lead them out of their oppression. But Jesus responds, amazingly, one of the only times he clearly states it, that he is the Messiah to this woman. And Jesus just answered another one of her concerns, but in other words, he just said, I'm the answer to your concerns. Whatever concerns you have, I, I am the answer. Jesus cared for her concerns, and likewise, we are to figure out what concerns people have and try to care for them. Remember that people don't care how much you know until they are convinced that you really care for them. So we tear down the barriers, we offer Jesus, we show unconditional acceptance of God when we interact with them, and we care for whatever concerns they have. And then the last, the H, is that the harvest is now. The disciples returned, and they wondered what was going on because they see Jesus talking to this woman of all people, a Samaritan woman, and the disciples had no idea what was happening. And the things, two things that emphasize that the harvest of people coming to Christ is now, is we see that the woman left her jar of water. She went to the well to get water, but she left it there, and she went into town to tell people that Jesus knew everything about her. Now, she's talking to people who didn't think too highly of her, but they were won over because of her excitement and that this guy that she just met, could he be the Messiah? That he knew everything about her. Remember, they thought that maybe it would be a prophet, the Messiah would be. And so they were won over and they, they came out. You know, to think about it from our perspective, she didn't wait and say like, oh, okay, I need to practice what I'm going to say to people before I say it because I got to make sure I don't make any mistakes or I need to take a class on how to share Jesus with other people. No, she just said, went and just shared what she knew, which wasn't very much, right? Like, hey, I met this guy. He claims to be the Messiah and he knew everything about me. <laughs> That's about all she knew, right? Oh, and by the way, he said something about living water. <laughs> you know, but I don't understand that. I, I'm, you know, he said something about not being thirsty. Or, you know, she just shared what she knew. And they were curious, so they came out. And then the second thing we see here with the disciples, when they tried to encourage Jesus to eat some food, because that's what they did, right? They went into the, the town, got food, and they bring it back, and they're like, hey, Jesus, you got what you wanted, right? <laughs> and then Jesus responds by saying, explaining, do you not say four months more? And then the harvest, I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Jesus meant now is the time to harvest people in the sense for the kingdom of God. And one guy that I read about said that when he said this, imagine the people from the town coming out of the town village at that time toward him. And he's like, hey, look, now's the time for harvest. And we are to act now as well, not later, meaning we are to take initiative to connect with people rather than waiting for them to come to us. If you think about it, that's very self-centered in some ways. Like, I'm not going to really talk to anybody unless they talk to me first, you know, something like that. It's very self-centered. But we, Jesus frees us to go and make connections intentionally with people that are different from us 
to make cross-cultural connections with someone. And that's the initiative that we're doing based on what Jesus has told us and commanded us as a mission and given an example to us through his life is to cross-culturally, we can say T-O-U-C-H, touch someone. And so we do that by tearing down the barriers that separate us. We offer Jesus, who is the abundant, exciting, adventurous life for eternity. We unconditionally accept the people and care for their concerns and realize that the harvest is now. To share Christ is now. Who knows how much time we have or they have. So, to the initiative, which you should have gotten a piece of paper uh, when you walked in. If you didn't, uh, one of the ushers can give you one on the way out. Uh, we wanted to, as a leadership, stress with our, you guys, our congregation, the English congregation, to not, in a sense, become a professional missionary and think, uh, you know, embed yourself in somebody else's culture and blah, blah, blah. It's just simply have the mind of Christ, have the radar of Christ and say, who in my life sphere already that I already know of, maybe you don't know them very well, maybe you do a little bit, but to be intentional about, okay, how can I get to know them better? Their story, their culture. And, and then there's a specifics on the page you can see. Um, and also this is available on our website. You can look for this uh, image. You can look for this image. Go ahead, give me control again. The next slide for the next slide. You can, the cross-cultural image that will come up <laughs> in a minute. Um, when you see that on the website, there's a little link on them below. You can just click on and you can download this digitally so you can have it as well. So ask the Lord for help of who in your life is of a different culture that's already a part of your life and pray for this person and then seek to try to find out some things about them. That's it. The goal, remember, is to be their friend if they want that, and to love them in the name of Jesus. Not just love them in your name, but let them know at some point that you're, you value them because God values them and actually died for them. So we're not to do this alone. We're not to do this alone like American thinking, like, yeah, Rambo, I got to do it by myself, you know? No, we do it together as a church. And so next month, we're going to introduce a way where we can sign up with one or two others and pray and share and encourage each other on how to do this together uh, for the rest of this year. All right? But now just think of someone and pray for them. Because in the body of Christ, he's designed us to be better together. Let's pray together. Lord God, we know that the task before us is impossible, but with God and with you, nothing is impossible, especially the things that you've commanded us to do. We thank you, Lord Christ, for your example and for your power and your spirit that resides within us through faith and trust in you as Lord and Savior. Lord, I pray for not only the English congregation, but all, the, all of Cornerstone Church, that we would be more and more like Christ, reaching cross-culturally with the opportunities you give us here in New Jersey and beyond representing you as your ambassadors and your truth and being cl as clear as possible about that and everything about our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.